Horse and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. Thank you for listening today. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. So last week, I called out on the podcast for anyone who'd had more than six events in a row cancelled, and no one has got in touch with me, so I think I'm claiming the record there for most events in a row cancelled. But I did get to a competition last weekend, and I'll tell you a little more about that later. Our guest today is Jane Ross, who reminisces about her favourite memories and first experiences at Horse of the Year show. I can still remember the smell from just sort of the collecting ring of, of the sand and the horses and there was something so magical about it and it stayed with me. I'll also be joined by my horse and hound colleagues to catch up on the news from the British Show Jumping Indoor Championship Finals at Aintree, plus a new code of practice for animal sanctuaries and the like in Wales. Finally, we're delighted to welcome vet Ricky Farr from Farr and Percy Equine back to the podcast. This week, he'll give us his top tips for managing horses through autumn and winter. It's really important to keep these horses moving no matter what the weather. Wild horses can walk anywhere between 20 and 40 miles a day. Um, If you consider how much exercise your horse does, it's probably a lot less than that. So pick up your whip and let's get going. Hello and welcome to this week's Horse and Hound guest interview. I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hound. Last week we were all having serious withdrawals as for the first time in a very, very long time, the prestigious Horse of the Year show held at the NEC in Birmingham didn't go ahead due to the coronavirus pandemic. So with this in mind, we're very honoured to be joined by one of the best in the game, equestrian legend and seven-time Hoy Supreme winner, Jane Ross. So hi Jane, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm very well, thank you very much. Uh, Twiddling my thumbs a little bit compared to what would normally be happening. Yeah, I bet, Jane. So how did it feel not to be at Hoys this year and, you know, not to be stressing all through September and October about coats and training and all that jazz? It's so different. It's really quite surreal in a way because the whole of our way of, of actually sort of sorting our season came to a very abrupt stop. Um, And so everything's changed so much. Uh, We've only had young horses in. um, But no, I mean, the the staff don't know that they've been born, basically, because normally at this time of year, we would have been out at sort of 10, 11 at night, changing rugs and making sure the temperatures were right and everything. And this year, we're just sailing along as if nothing's going on, which is in some ways really, really sad. We are all missing it terribly. Yeah. And, and Jane, you were, took the Supreme last year um, and in 2018. So last year you were riding the heavyweight hunter Twin Shock Warrior and the year before the ladies horse Time to Reflect. So I'm going to take you right back now. And can you remember that the very first time you rode at Hoy's? I mean, imagine it would be um, would have been held back at Wembley. It was a long time ago. Um, the very first time I rode at, at Hoy's was in uh, 1965. And I was eight years old. Wow. I don't remember quite so much about that year, but the following year, I was lucky enough to ride a very special pony called Cusop Pirouette, uh, which was owned by Dr. and Mrs. Gilbert Scott and their family. Um, and I was lucky enough to actually win on that. And that was my first win and first championship at the age of nine, all those years ago in 1966. Um, and I can still remember the smell from just sort of the collecting ring of, of the sand and the horses. And mm. they used to spray Jay's fluid down and things because of, of all the people wandering around in those days. And uh, just there was something so magical about it. And it stayed with me all those years. Um, 
it's funny it, it just never leaves you somehow and yeah. as a child I suppose it's imprinted in my mind and it's it's been there ever since and it still hasn't lost its magic I have to say all those years later oh wow that's just incredible and I'm sure that one does feature on the list so, so do you have a most memorable Hoy's victory you could recall for us <sighs> It's a very difficult one to answer that because each one of them is so individual and, and it means so much to, to everybody, the team, the owners um, and ourselves that uh, you know, no, no two wins are the same ever and nobody realises quite what's gone on behind the scenes sometimes to even get the horses to the, to the show, let alone to win a class then a championship and then be lucky enough to go supreme it's yeah. that they're, they're all so different and each one of them is very very magical in its own way and yeah you have seven supreme victories on your uh, tally and um, when was the first time you uh, lifted that prestigious title the first time was in 2004 on a very naughty horse called soldier brave beautiful beautiful horse but not easy um and i was lucky enough to get the ride on that because Marjorie and Richard Ramsey, who bred him and, and who actually produced him on behalf of the owners, Carol and Bill Bardo, uh, Richard had had a very bad fall out hacking and had broken his pelvis when a horse had come down on him. And he was unable to ride the horse um, because he was difficult to get on. And I was lucky enough to step in and, and take the ride on that horse purely, I thought, for the first season, which was, I think, in 2001, and he actually was my first Supreme in 2004. So that was very, very special. I suppose that really, you know, sort of opened up my eyes to what could be. And then from then on, it always seemed a little bit more within reach somehow. But you never wish for anything twice. You know, you, you just make the most of what you get the first time round and, and live for the moment. Lovely. And, and yeah, of course, we all have our bad days. Um, so do you have any kind of Hoy's bloopers maybe you'd care to share with us? You know, maybe one of those times when you've just got it wrong on the day and, yeah, the atmosphere has maybe got too much. Oh, we've all had plenty of those. <laughs> um, over the years, there's been a few of those, yes. I mean, we've had, um, we had one year the favourite to win the ladies show hunter of the year and he was a lovely horse. Um, a grey horse called Ballyhaven and he was an absolute saint um, and he was called in top he was giving the ride judge the most beautiful ride and uh, down at the far end of the arena in those days um, w the hospitality um, area was being laid for lunch the tables were being laid and one kind waiter um, sort of threw the tablecloth up in the air to put it over one of the tables and it flashed straight in his face and he whipped straight round and completely ruined the job. <laughs> so that was a bit of a disaster, but not his fault. But that's what you have to learn to live with at Horse of the Air Show. You know, it's such a different environment um, and quite often it does get to the horses. So, yeah, that wouldn't be the only whoops we've had over the years, but that was one of the, the saddest moments, really, because it was the one horse that deserved a Horse of the Year show win, and he never actually got it in the end. Yeah, there definitely isn't an atmosphere like that main ring. Um, so how do you ensure all of your horses, especially those novices and first-timers, yeah, how do you get them ready for that big occasion? You really just have to do your homework and, and hope that you get it right and, and you've read the whole scenario and, and the character of the horse right, really. Um, you have to build a trust and a bond with a horse anyway. And throughout the season, 
um, you try and build that trust and that bond as you go on. And you get into all sorts of different scenarios anyway at different shows, even the outside shows, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of music, a lot of people, you know, things crashing and bashing around the place. So you rather hope that all in all you can just learn to trust each other and hope that the horse will listen to you and concentrate on what's going on on, on, on me rather than on the surroundings. Um, they try very hard at the Horse of the Air show to keep everything calm and quiet. And uh, it's one of those things if somebody drops a, a can or something and it bounces down the steps. You know, nobody's doing it on purpose. It's just sad it happens sometimes. But um, you just have to hope that you've created enough of a trust between horse and rider that you can get through these things. Yeah, definitely. And, and let's hope we can be back at the NEC in 2021. And just looking ahead to next year, Jane, have you got any exciting new horses you can maybe mention and tell us about? We've got a few new horses, yes. Um, a few novices that have had just one or two little outings this year, just to sort of break the boredom and the monotony, really, of, of being at home all the time. Um, so a couple of really lovely young horses, um, a, a nice young hack, which... Um, has been out just a couple of times, um, who's just been bought by Kay Campbell. Um, we've got a lovely four-year-old to come out as a, a lightweight novice hunter. That's very special. That's um, bred by Billy Moran and by Tiger Attack, and that's a very special horse. Um, yeah, we, we've got a, a lovely bunch of horses. And of course, this year, because all our older horses have had, have had a year off, um, it's going to be quite novel for them to come back out again. They're going to come out with a, a different attitude to life. It sounds like an absolutely incredible string and I can't wait to, to follow them next year. So thanks, Jane. That's been absolutely wonderful and we've loved hearing um, your Hoy's memories. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. Lots of love. I'm joined today by our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. Hi, Lucy. Hello. And our news writer, Becky Murray. Hello, Becky. Hello. Lucy, I know you're just back from reporting at Aintree for several days at the end of last week, so we're going to talk about that in a bit. But uh, Becky, what's been happening with you in Scotland? Well, this is going to sound like a reoccurring theme for me, but basically I've battled heavy rain all weekend, and I think I've finally admitted to feet that my mares are about to start coming in at nights which is a bit earlier than I'd planned, but they're now spending most of their time at the gate dropping some major hints they want out of the mud. So mucking out is going to be back on the agenda from now on. Oh no, so it's, <laughs> uh, the rain is falling in Scotland and it's time to bring the horses in. Oh yes. But you had an exciting weekend, didn't you, Pippa? I did, yeah. I finally managed to get out of Enting 15 months after my last run. So I'm going to say it was a two out of three day. I did a good dressage test. I went clear across country. But the one out of the three that didn't go well was the show jumping. I have so many problems with show jumping and I always have had with the other horses as well. But uh, yeah, so that was that was disappointing and annoying because it stopped me from being competitive, which I would have been in the other two phases. But I did go to an event. I kept the horse between me and the ground at all times so I'm taking that as some sort of win um Lucy you were reporting though on much higher class sport this weekend you were at the British show jumping indoor championship finals at Aintree International Equestrian Centre this was the show that took quite a number of our important national finals when Hoyes was cancelled and, and was able to host them what was the vibe up there yes I was being up there for five days six days it was 
it was amazing <laughs> is the first way I'd describe it. And absolutely hats off to the team up at Aintree because it was it was phenomenal right from the moment where you drove in. You drove in, you had your temperature checked, all the protocols were in place, you know, all the signage, but not just that. They had COVID stewards, they had hand sanitizer. They were it was taken so seriously. I can't tell you how seriously, but not just by the team, but by the competitors as well, or the safety side of thing. Everyone, everyone wanted the show to work. Everyone wants competition and sport to continue and everyone did everything they can to to ensure that happened. But but what was so impressive about it is that while there was all that, you know, safety very much there and very much at the forefront of people's minds, there was still, you know, there was still an atmosphere, even though you've got no crowds there at all. I think the venue itself helps. It's, if you've not been to the Equestrian Centre, when you're allowed to go, I would recommend going because it is beautiful. It's this beautiful, great, airy building and it's right on the edge of, of the race course itself. And I mean, who else? How many people get the chance to ride their horses, uh, you know, at Aintree? <laughs> it's fantastic. So, yeah, it was wonderful. And of course, the most important thing as well, it was the quality of the sport was was fantastic it really was brilliant the course designs were so interesting and varied everyone I spoke to had nothing but praise for the course designer and for the, for the whole event so it was an incredible triumph really for for the team there to pick up these national finals and give it a different atmosphere to that it would have been at horse of the year show but still to make it very special and to and to not dilute the the quality of competition that's so nice to hear that they hadn't sucked the joy out of the event you know what I mean because I feel like with all the protocols in place sometimes at the moment it can feel like everything's very clinical and being done to rule and order so it's good to hear that there was some sense of atmosphere and of, of doing something special up there and, and, and having fun as well as obviously all importantly being safe completely absolutely and tell us a bit more about the sport Lucy which class or winner would you pick out as your favorite of the week oh that's a really hard question because there was such a such a breadth really of sports and the qualification system for a lot of classes has been different this year, uh, which was something actually interesting. The course designer Mark McGowan was talking about was how to how to build courses for maybe horses and riders that have had different competition seasons this year while getting, you know, a good number, but not, you know, over numbers through to the jump off and creating a good final. But with while also giving, you know, confidence and encouraging those horses that that may not have made the jump off so that they're going away also with a positive experience and and uh, learning from it I would say I've been trying to weigh up who my favorite winners were of the week I mean the fox hunter final was brilliant and that was a very very exciting horse I think is Nielsen and I think hopefully we're going to see great things great things from him uh I think probably I'm going to pick two. So I'm going to pick my horse of the week and my pony of the week. I think the horse I think that really, really impressed me all week, and I really just, I really loved her attitude. Was Gina Gold? She won the Grade C final, and she was also fourth in the Fox Hunter. And she just, she just, you could see how much she wants it. She's got a brilliant bond with her rider Emma Crawford, and yeah, those those were a real joy to watch actually. Um, on the ponies of the week. Uh, I really enjoyed watching. It was a lovely little chestnut 
uh, mayor called Crevetti G. Uh, she was written by a 15 year old called Charlotte Page. She was very exciting and they won the Discovery Pony Championship. And Charlotte was telling me about how she produced her herself and things. And I thought that was really nice. But we can't talk about the championships without talking about, you know, the standout performance of the week was Tabitha Kyle, who was phenomenal across across the board on everything she rode and such an impressive rider to watch. But she's also really impressive to interview as well and forget that she's only 13 because her analysis of her rounds and also the way she talks about the exercises and the training that she's done at home and how she won her classes is is incredibly impressive to hear and just talk about some pole work exercises that I would be <laughs> very keen to have a go at when I can when I'm back in an arena too so yeah huge congratulations to her I think it was three titles she took across the week as well as lots of other placings so yeah we do have an interview with Tabitha in next week's Horse and Hounds so uh, that's that's timely I have to admit here maybe that Tabitha is my niece um, <laughs> which yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think I think when she first started doing well, we were worried it might look like favoritism if she got her picture in Horse and Hound. But now it seems like she does so ridiculously well that it would be weird to leave her picture out of Horse and Hound. <laughs> I mean, three championship titles, including Pony Show Jumper of the Year. He couldn't really, you can't ignore that. <laughs> no, well, uh, I'm definitely definitely claiming her as a relation. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm married to her father's brother that makes her my niece that's that's the right relationship um great well thank you lucy it's great to hear about that and all those winners up at aid tree congratulations to them and to the organizers on running such a good show becky we're coming over to you now to talk about a story you've been working on around a voluntary code of practice for animal welfare establishments in wales what's the story here so in Wales, there is the Animal Welfare Network for Wales group. Um, this is a group whose members include charities such as Red Wings and the RSPCA and World Horse Welfare, as well as other animal charities. Now, it was recognised by this group quite some time ago um, that new legislation around rescues and sanctuaries was really needed. So the group drafted a voluntary code which has been backed and published by the Welsh Government, which is really sort of a big thing. And it's basically a framework setting out the standards that these animal rescue establish establishments in Wales should meet in terms of their care. Now, I spoke to Nick de Brower, who is on the management committee of this group and is also the chair of the National Equine Welfare Council. He said a lot of work's gone into this code and while there are some good rescues out there, um, sadly there are some really very problematic ones where animals are suffering and Nick said, you know, this code will hopefully help towards that and these rescue centres either need to improve or be stopped. Mm, so that's good good news in Wales that there's sort of proactive action there. Might we get something similar in, in England and Scotland? Well, regulation of sanctuaries is on the Scottish government's radar and evidence has been gathered and they're at the stage of proposals on draft regulations um, which will be getting put to public consultation in due course. But in England, things are moving a bit slower. I spoke to RSPCA who is working with the UK government on a set of guidelines, but even RSPCA said England is in danger of being left behind here. Hmm. So it seems like England needs to, to get a movement if we're not going to be, as you say, left behind. And this is currently a voluntary code in Wales, isn't it? But th is there a thought that in the future it might lead to sort of laws and, and licensing of establishments? Absolutely. Um, you know, firstly, it has been acknowledged that by being a voluntary code, you are relying on people working to these guidelines on their own accord. But over the next two years, the situation in Wales is going to be monitored around how this code is working. And, you know, I think we'll be relying a lot on the public sort of spotting and reporting things and 
mentioning on these charities that perhaps aren't meeting the standards with the hope that a regulation will then be brought in in about two years time but right now this is really a very big first step towards that Great. Thank you, Becky. That's good to hear. Lucy, finally, back to you, because we didn't give you a whole week off from the news desk, even (laughs) though you had to drive to entry, report about 4,000 classes and then drive (laughs) back again. Um, We still made you write some news stories, obviously. (laughs) And you've been looking at a number of accidents which have led to calls for riders to ensure they wear properly fitted safety equipment, haven't you? I have, yes. We just... We seem to have on the news desk, we've heard a few a few stories recently, high profile riders, amateur riders, a real mix. And it just seemed time actually for, it's something that we all know that wearing appropriate safety gear is, is important and why it's important. But I think when, when you have a few accidents and incidents like this, it, it is just a good reminder really as to why, why it's important to wear it and how it protects you. And obviously with COVID-19, we're all talking about not getting too close to strangers. We're all talking, in fact, about not even getting too close to our friends. Um, And is it possible to get a hat or body protector fitted at the moment if you need a new one, which obviously is a procedure where normally you would be sort of up close and personal with the tax shop owner? Yeah, absolutely. And I spoke to the British Equestrian Trade Association's Executive Director, Claire Williams, about this last week. And she told me that riders can most definitely be fitted with hats and body protectors in line with COVID safe guidance. So they issued all their member members with COVID-related protocols uh, as lockdown ended with examples of appropriate risk assessments and guidelines of how to fit people safely, which incorporate PPE precautions where you would be, as you said, closer when you're having your body protector fitted and so it's just things like asking riders to make appointments for fitting allowing extra time things like that little things but actually you know making a a big difference to keeping everyone safe while having more safety equipment fitted if that makes sense and what was interesting as well is since the end of lockdown they have pleasingly seen a real leap in numbers of riders going for fittings and increased demand as well which is good news because I think I know even if I don't get them fitted at a show or at an event it's certainly being around trade stands it's something that does remind me that I need to get it done and of course those sorts of shows haven't been happening this year or they have been happening but not open to the public and our tax shops are very much open and, and up and running as well so so hopefully people are going and supporting those and and getting themselves fitted at the same time which is as we've been hearing this week so important mm, absolutely because although uh, obviously coronavirus is dangerous there are other dangers out there as well particularly when you're riding or dealing with horses even on the ground so thank you lucy for filling us in on that and if you're uh, wearing an old hat then uh, go and get it checked and if, if you're not wearing a hat or, or a body protector if you think that's appropriate then uh, make sure you do and thanks to becky as well for joining us today Now we're going over to vet Ricky Farr from Farr and Percy Equine. It's been a couple of weeks since we've had Ricky on the podcast and it's great to have him back. Okay, coming in this time of year, the weather's starting to turn a little bit. So talking about issues for your horse during sort of like the autumn and winter period. So um, I think if everyone hops online and has a look on the Horse and Hound website, there's um, some an article a few weeks ago on actually rugging your horse up at this time of year. And uh, I went into a little bit of detail on that, but I think it's one of those bone of contentions. As soon as uh, you start to feel cold, you duck into that tack room and you pick up that massive heavyweight rug, which actually, 
when you start to consider how horses are in the wild and how they cope with um, temperature change is probably not as necessary as you actually think. So uh, hop on and have a look at uh, that with regards to rugging. And it's mainly to do with something called a thermoneutral zone. So the tolerance that uh, you can take outside essentially with no clothes and maintain your own internal body temperature is actually quite narrow and it actually needs to be quite warm for people but with regards to horses the, the thermal neutral zone for horses is massive so don't go grabbing that rug um, straight away. I'd probably say if temperatures are starting to get below five degrees, that's definitely times when you need to start considering it, particularly in the older and the younger individuals. But for more info, definitely hop onto the Horsehound website and pick that one up. Um, but other things that you kind of need to really be considering again in the late autumn and winter periods, um, diet and exercise um is the perfect one as we kind of get into the winter period everyone thinks crikey feed them up a little bit um we do have a, a massive problem with obesity in our equine population um, and that's also mirrored again in in our human populations as well and all the way down through to pets so with our horse it's probably no different everyone thinks right they need more food uh, so they pick up that great big bag of feed from the uh, the feed merchants and then start piling in the concentrates, which actually is probably a little bit counterproductive. These horses are designed to live on forage. As long as they've got fresh water and forage and as much forage as they can potentially eat uh, in the vast majority of circumstances, those horses will cope perfectly well in this kind of autumn and winter period as the temperature drops off. Um, exercise as well. Horses, they depends where you read, but most um, wild horses can walk anywhere between 20 and 40 miles a day. Um, if you consider how much exercise your horse does, it's probably a lot less than that. So keeping the exercise up, it's really important to keep these horses moving no matter what the weather. So don't just stop exercising your horse just because uh, it is raining outside, you don't want to get outside, uh, this, you don't have an indoor school or the luxury of an indoor school. It's really those horses still need to get out and exercise. So them standing around in the winter period doing nothing is actually uh, not good for them either. So if you can't do it, if you're not doing exercise, okay, so what else can we actually do with these horses? Well, considering their dietary management, again, um, as I've just alluded to, feeding them excessively when they're not doing the exercise, they're only going to pile on the pounds and the calories. Um, so from that point of view, they are going to lay additional fat deposits down, which become metabolically active in them or can be. And then you increase your risk of laminitis and things like that. So again, paying particular attention to diets, going to your feed merchant, speaking to your local veterinary practices as well. There's some very good practices out there with some really good nurses that can give you some fantastic advice. And that's so if you feel that you can't speak to your vet about it, get in touch with them and see if one of the nurses can come out and have a discussion with you. Also in this kind of um, winter period, uh, washing legs. Um, my partner's horse, I know every time she goes down to the yard, she desperately tries to get those legs looking nice and sparkly white in the middle of the winter. Uh, frankly, it's probably a little bit counterproductive. You're going to need to do that all the time. Washing legs and getting them consistently wet down to skin level is going to leave those horses kind of exposed to getting other, other sort of skin complaints, dermatitises or secondary infections. So trust me when these horses have thicker feathers and the coat starts to change that's definitely something that is designed by nature to protect them so when we start interfering with that so washing them excessively or clipping them all off we're exposing areas of the skin that have been designed to be protected during the winter winter period so just bear that one in mind 
A big one is, particularly as we're coming through the kind of autumn months, is worming. Um, we're going to go through a podcast a little bit later on um, what we term sciathostomosis, or where we get small red worms that embed themselves into the gut wall. It's the kind of time that you need to start talking to your veterinary practices about worming protocols during the uh, the autumn period, because there is a higher susceptibility during sort of anywhere from November onwards, where we need to bear in mind that very young individuals and very old individuals can have high burdens of worms within their gut walls that do need taking care of. So listen out for a further podcast. We'll go into a little bit more detail on that one. General foot care as well. No one likes getting their hands that mucky and muddy sometimes, particularly when it is cold, uh, but picking those feet out regularly. The uh, increased incidence of abscesses, thrush, all things like that in those feet, it's going to go up if they're not picked out regularly and, and taken care of. In addition to that, sort of if we do get lots of snow during the winter, snow packing, uh, it it can make horses quite considerably considerably lame. So making sure those feet are picked out every single day, particularly those horses that are shod. Um, Another one that a lot of people probably, it's more common really in draft breeds, um, but in the winter months we actually see one or two instances of canker. So it's where we can get problems with exuberant growth of tissue within the frog, particularly the sulci of the frog, so right in the centre. Um, and you get this tissue that is really white and crumbly and almost their, their frogs t- seems to disintegrate in front of your eyes. So very common in draft breeds and used to be quite common in um, particularly draft or shire horses that used to pull canal barges. So when they're down the side of a, a wet muddy track and standing in wet muddy conditions all the time, their feet just disintegrate. So Keeping an eye out for any kind of changes, speaking to your farrier, speaking to your vet, keeping on top of that kind of general hoof care, um, it's really important in these winter months. Cushing status as well, or what we term PPID. So those classical kind of horses or ponies that are in their 20s or 30s, drinking a lot, got long uh, coats, they have uh, increased uh, incidence of laminitis. In the autumn and winter months it's we need to start actually getting those kind of horses tested so tested with regards to a hormone called ACTH simple blood test nice and quick there's plenty of information online with regards to Cushing's but we definitely advocate people going out and making sure that we get these horses tested in this time of year to make sure we reduce the incidence of laminitis um, as we further go on into the spring and it's the autumn months where you'll pick up the higher levels of the hormone within them um Again, thinking if you're if you are bringing your horse in during the winter period as well, uh, I'm going to be doing a podcast soon on impaction colics. Um, but colics is definitely something that we see as we get a sudden uh, change in the management and bringing those horses in as well. Increase of sometimes respiratory disease as well. You're bringing them in out from the open into an enclosed area. You you've got lots of changes. Uh, you've got forest changes. Uh, whether you do have dusty hay or anything like that, they're massive changes to their management and their structure, which do influence the um sort of long term over this winter period so in all essence be sensible over the winter period you just need to be very aware you're changing their management very quickly you're changing their feeding very quickly try to do that as gradually as possible being extra diligent on those feet speaking to your vets or even a set of nurses and everything getting some advice on feeding keep up the exercise and remember not over rugging those horses during the winter 
Next week, we'll be talking to vet Helen Van Tool of VT Vets about what to do if your horse suffers from a skin condition after hunting. We also have a super special guest. I'll be talking to the legendary eventer Mark Todd about his double Olympic champion charisma. Thanks for joining us today. Please do rate, review and share the podcast to help us spread the word. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.